Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Vector, where we discuss topics, trends, and insights shaping the global space ecosystem. I am your host, Kelly Kitas-Ogborn, and today is all about ISAM, in-space servicing, assembly, and manufacturing, a seemingly niche industry, but is also serving as a backbone for the growth of the space ecosystem. Joining me in this conversation are two gentlemen that I am very excited to have because their company is really on the forefront of enabling this growth and this architecture within low Earth orbit. So joining me today is Jorg Kreisel, who is chairman and co-founder of IBOSS and also secretary of CONFERS. Jorg is a seasoned professional with over 35 years of experience in the space industry and is actively engaged in several space-related startups and investor boards across the globe. He specializes in technology commercialization and his journey into the space sector dates back to 1987 when he played a crucial role in supporting the founding and early years of RapidEye, as well as when he co-founded uh, JKIC, which is a consulting company dedicated to innovative and commercial activities within the space industry. Since the year 2000, JKIC has been a key player in on-orbit servicing and active debris removal. And this has really catapulted Jorg as a you know, specialist and really a recognized leader within the ISAM portfolio. And he also holds international patents for modular space systems concepts. More recently, in 2017, he helped co-found IBOSS, which is aiming to revolutionize space infrastructure by promoting modularity and plug and play capabilities through specialized interface and building block technologies. In his spare time, he is a frequent speaker at international events, a university lecturer, a AIAA associate fellow, as well as involved in many other global aerospace organizations. Jorg, welcome, for, thank you for joining us today. And also joining us is Thomas Shervin, who is CEO and co-founder of IBOSS. Uh, he is a structural mechanics expert, and he specializes in spacecraft design and weight optimization using genetic and machine learning algorithms. He completed his mechanical engineering studies with a focus on aerospace engineering at Aachen University in Germany. And after earning his diploma, he worked as a full-time research engineer at the Institute of Structural Mechanics and Lightweight Design. Thomas was a member and eventually was appointed the chief engineer of the Institute, which developed modular satellite architectures under three major DLR grants for the IBOS joint project, which happened from 2010 to 2018. And during his tenure at the Institute, he really developed extensive knowledge that carried into his role as CEO of IBOS. Thomas is currently conducting a PhD research project centered on the development and application of deep learning neural networks to forecast the mechanical responses of lightweight structures, which is really, really fascinating. And so thank you both for joining me today. I think your perspectives and especially your history engaging in the ISAM portfolio, but also the broader aspects of the tech and business side of space will really make this a uh, productive conversation. Thank you, Cody. Thank you. So let's kick this off. As I mentioned in the beginning, you know, ISAM obviously is a term that you guys talk about a lot. It really permeates a lot of what you do professionally on a daily basis, but it's not really something that outside of this, this niche area people really know about. They actually conceptually do know about it, but as an industry, I think it's a little less known. And IBOS really is at the, the forefront of a lot of this because I know the company's mission is really to promote modularity, but 
enable this plug and play space infrastructure, which people in the industry know is really critical to enabling its growth and really how the industry needs to progress for, for future movement. And so Thomas, I wanna start with you to talk a little bit about IBOSS. You know, we mentioned its roots in the university and the Institute in particular, but where did you really see the, the value in, in spinning this off to create a separate company? And how do you see the technology really enabling this ISAM portfolio and ecosystem? Yes. So uh, thank you, Kelly, for your question and uh, introduction. Yeah, so ISAM, InSpace Satellite Servicing Assembly and Manufacturing. And when back in 2017, the IBOS project started as a uh, fun, funded by the DLR in Germany, um, the whole concept was about making satellites more modular and repairable, upgradable, and um, to be able to still reshape a satellite in space after you launched it, because this is something what is not possible up, up to uh, up today. And the, the basic idea is that if you have a satellite in space, which has a problem, is broken, is old, that you can still repair it by adding a module, upgrading it by adding a module. And all this is needs some kind of interface, let's say, or some kind of rules of the road or some kind of on-orbit servicing, robotics, etc. And we as a company, let's say, or in, this, in the course of this project, we developed all these technologies surrounding on-orbit servicing. And one of the key components was the interface we are right now, which is right now our product, which allows to do right, to do this, to, to somehow attach something in space by robotic means or to take apart stuff and do some kind of modular modularity in space. And this, uh, of course, allows a new, yeah, new systems, new, new satellite systems, new possibility, new businesses, and a whole ecosystem of new architectures. Yeah, and and to that point, and Jorg, I'm I'm curious your perspective on this because, Thomas, you're right. I mean, this modularity and really it's it's an iterative approach because if you think about other industries like automotive industries and cell phone industries. The, the technology is constantly improved upon and in space, we should also have that ability that when you put something up, it can be iterated and improved on, especially to allow new capabilities that are gonna continue to be necessary, but also are critical to, for growth. And, and Jorg, you've been dealing with space commercialization for a very long time. And with this opportunity and with this technology in particular, what does it enable us to do that we haven't been able to do before up until this point? Well, it enables a range of things. And I think, first of all, we need to acknowledge that the next big thing and what drives really space is future space infrastructure and associated logistics. Mm -hmm. So, and we have built systems and, and conducted missions for a long time in the same way, based on the same design principles, the same operational models and conops, as well as kind of slowly emerging business models. And so this will can change in, uh, totally if we considered modular architectures. Modular architectures, we, are, we, we always like to talk about what's in space, it starts on the ground. If we yeah. are able to kind of compose and build things out of building blocks, pre-tested, pre-qualified building blocks, and then also make uh, systems fit uh, a rocket. You know, today we built 
systems which fit a fairing in a rocket. You know, now we could put something together, and if it doesn't work, we bring it up and then put it together in space. And then in space, it kind of gives us tremendous opportunities, all the way from warehousing to a kind of systems, upgradable systems, as Thomas mentioned. And in the context of this, a very critical element is such an interface, which then has a couple of multiple or multiple functionalities, all the way from mechanical connection to transferring power data and if what you like. And that will help a lot. It, it comes, it boils down to the Lego principle. All this can be discussed in different ways and there's multiple projects on all over the globe and some of them for a long, long time. At the end of the day, we are talking about increasing mission flexibility. And, uh, you know, we can put, do things better on ground, we can to, do things in space. And alongside the introduction of modular architectures in space systems, we, are, we will see evolving new business models as well. We see kind of different design philosophies, as, as is very clear because design is different, but also different business models, but also be in between different operational models, even modular operation operation of, of, of payloads versus operation of buses and of satellites mm -hmm. and so forth. So ISAM is really kind of is a game changing movement. Yeah. And it's interesting. I want to pull on what you talked about, about mission flexibility. And, and this builds into, I think, a broader movement and sort of moment in time where we are in space, because for a, a long time, and a lot of ISAM is you know, talking about low Earth orbit architecture infrastructure, but really the industry is now talking for toward this cislunar economy and sort of everything built within it. And mission flexibility means different things to different people, because as you, you know, discuss this, this ecosystem, there's national security priorities, there's civil priorities, there's commercial priorities, and all of that is sort of mixed into one, but missions are somewhat similar. They just might have different outcomes. And so I know from the plug and play aspect, if you could just pull on that a bit more, because you're, I think your Lego analogy is really, really spot on. And when you and I, and, and Thomas too, when you were showing me the interface initially, I thought it was really interesting how you're able to know friend and foe when they're trying to, to dock on different areas for this sort of mission flexibility and mission output. So could you touch a bit upon that? Yeah, sure. So our interface is able to connect three things, or even four. So first of all, if you have the mechanical connection because you need some kind of rigid um, rigid interface to, to connect to the Lego parts in space, the building blocks in space. But then you have also a power transfer and also a data transfer and even later we have also an option for thermal transfer but let's say before before coupling to each other you need some kind of um, agreeing that the one is uh, that both both actors like each other and uh, want to connect to each other so we have decided for an optical interface. So our interface transfers data by an optical device. And this optical interface even works in a some, some distance, up to 10 centimeters uh, distance. And so the interface one is saying, hello, here I am. Can I connect to you? And the other one is agreeing. And if it's agreeing, it prepares the interface, the mechanical part, in a way so that the other can dock and connect to the to this interface if the interface is not willing to dock because they didn't agree in this handshake 
then the interface can drive to some kind of posture where it prevents that the other interface can attach and enter the other interface. So this is our ba basic idea behind uh, having some extra security in, in this domain. And of course, after the interfaces have did the connection, we can start transferring power. Of course, we have a rigid connection and we can also start transferring high data rates in, in a gigabit per second uh, domain. And, and Jörg, I'd love for you to pile on about that in terms of, you know, this, this cislunar space now, because we're, we're betting on eventualities, but people are designing their business models for scalability toward, toward that future in, you know, three, five, seven years. And how do you see this infrastructure play shaking out or also maybe some of the mission sets that are not necessarily on the docket, but are going to be really critical that are going to need this sort of technology? That is a very good question because, first of all, we have to also take into account that for all this, uh, we need robotics. So we're talking not only the space systems, but we also talk robots. For some people, this is one thing. No, it's not. Because the robotics world is a kind of a, a different discipline, right? So systems are being designed. So that is what, to add to what Thomas was saying, that our interfaces also can be a robotic end effect on a robot foot or whatever you name it. So we, we, our mission is to create the missing link to bring together all these different types of systems. You know, part of the systems are core systems, which kind of then have a core, have a functionality. That's what they've been built for, be it communication satellites or whatever you name it. And the other is a support infrastructure, mm. right? So, and, uh, and alongside certain logistics, and that can be servicing, assembly, you know, manufacturing. We're not going into the details. It's sort of like a big tree. Yeah. And so the, what what is it the systems would need to, I think, the, and that brings us back to the modularity aspects. We, we are convinced there will be economy of scale effects by using similar parts principles. And, you know, and then sort of coming over time, of course, for the time being, it's going to be different. That's like in the early days of computers, uh, coming to standards. And, uh, you know, and uh, we have seen it in the IT world, you know, so in, in computer or IT hardware. You know, in the beginning, uh, nothing fit together. A thousand cables, different plugs, you know, and, and, and that thing couldn't work with the other one. If it was broken, you couldn't, uh, couldn't connect a printer, all these kind of things. I've gone through this period. Now, it doesn't matter. You just put together what you want. And that is a bit what we want to help bring to those systems. But in our role in the ISAM, Cislunar world, we are... Uh, convinced we can be an enabler. So we want to help others, you know, kind of put something on the table, a little uh, an interface, and to help them do a better job or to, to improve, enhance their systems. Yeah, I want to pull on this thread that you talked about quickly, but I do want to actually bring in a, a comment that was made in the chat because I, I want to make sure that we're we're all on the same page. So somebody wrote that an interface that has to be on the vehicle pre-launch and that add system complexity seems prohibitive. How would you respond to that? Thomas? So I believe, so we, we offer different types of interfaces. So we have an active interface, which is able, which has a motor and gears and is driving, but we have offer also a passive interface if required, or even a very thin option of this interface which where the impact of, of mass is very, very small. So we can go down to, for the passive side, to 200 grams, uh, even and even below with, if you just mill it directly into your structure, 
uh, we can go below 100 grams. So I think the the step or let's say the the the, the challenge to equip satellites in space with such interface um, just to be sure to be able to 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 service them in the future is a small very small price to pay and of course right now the the, the satellite in space they don't have this interface and it's clear that our interface or our idea of um, modular spacecrafts is something for the next future or for the let's say for the for the coming satellite systems and it makes also sense because if you are thinking that right now a lot of things are changing in space we are coming from hundreds or 1000 satellites in 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 orbit now to tens of thousands of satellites in, in orbit and now this is the 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 shift in, of this paradigm shift because it makes no sense to have a road assistant service on the highway for for five cars yeah but as soon as you have thousands of cars on the on the highway then a road assistant and makes sense and this service makes sense this ecosystem is building up and is growing but of course you have to prepare it with in our case with the interfaces and the robotics and the services and to add to that is if i may very briefly that's a the question is is very valid and the answer is also valid but the point is what i what i've personally observed over the years there's always been that discussion yes and no camps about this service on on orbit servicing modularity building blocks and interfaces and uh, one argument a counter argument has always been there was a mass mass penalty additional complexity for the system etc etc it is not really true depending on how you design a system and we did that once in a whole inter kind of iBoss project with many kind of cons uh, institutions uh, we've sort of rebuilt in such a modular modular approach uh, geoconsat and mm -hmm. it was like the, the mass penalty was below 10 percent uh, but we could bring in more payload even more transponders so it depends really the particular mission so there is no such general uh, yes and no it could it works or not and also particularly economically, because economically things will change since we are moving from kind of like building those systems to now we are talking already satellite as a service, we will one day, if we are talking interface, we will talk something like connection as a service, right? So we will, we will, it, will it will break up into many, many different fields. Right. Well, and I imagine what it comes down to is it's extending use, but also adapting use, because one of the themes that both of you keep talking about is this this future eventuality, right? Like where, where space is going and we need to meet the challenges now, but we also need to start designing for what the future could look like. And that is something that we need to start integrating. And Jorg, I wanna come back to this concept you talked about economies of scale, because that is really the, the critical piece to this, especially with space. And as we talk about the commercialization of space and the cislunar economy, certainly that's where we need to get to. We can't keep being iterative. It has to be integrative. The architecture needs to be able to you know, serve now, uh, prepare for the future. And I'm curious when it comes to the ISAM ecosystem, because you know a lot of concepts have been talked about. There's interfaces, there's the proliferation of satellites, there's the robotics, right? Demonstrations and development that needs to happen. There's refueling. There's all of these various parts. How does that industry come together? So you mentioned standards, which is, which is critical, obviously, but other things that come to mind is, you know, different funding models, because there's a lot of different businesses that are part of this integrated portfolio. Uh, the perceived risk, of course, because while a lot of these companies that are within the ISAM entity 
have demonstrated proven capabilities, they still are sort of seen in their infancy by, you know, maybe more staid players. And so how do we move toward this economy of scale and really get past this demo prototype stage and really to get to like some sort of scalable infrastructure? Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned a couple of very, in, very important terms in this context, because first of all, all this will not happen overnight. Right. And we need to make sure that not a bunch of space players run forward too fast. My personal belief is it has to be a less is more approach. Mm. Uh, you mentioned risk. There's tremendous risk. Everything we put in space is risk, right? Yeah. So it's, 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 it's very challenging. And, and then the further we go out, you know, beyond Leo, Cisluna and beyond, you know, to the celestial bodies and maybe on surfaces. And that is also where the modular architectures can work all the way to rovers on the moon and further right. off and maybe kind of like exploration infrastructure someplace. The government, the, there's huge risk. The regulatory regimes are not totally sorted out, right? Uh, actually, we are far from being, being there. So, but all of these things are sort of converging. Everybody's working on it. And I personally believe it takes sort of simple demo missions to build trust. We also know that a very important player in the whole industry, insurance, they right. want to see things work. So we need to create trust and confidence amongst the insurers, but also in particular, also amongst the investors. So there is for sure a call for governments to kind of helping and taking this first step prior to kind of going broader. The one other private sector investor may join and want to come on board early to maintain a particular upside in a particular field better than others. Uh, other than that, that we believe is the way forward. So what does that mean? You mentioned, for instance, kind of like ecosystem, different business models, this, this economy of scale, how will it come? There are commercial op commercial proposals out for kind of privately privately operated space stations where people can bring payloads to operate and these type of things. There's a, there's there's several of those and a very very good concepts. And so I think it will grow gradually. Uh, there will and that is another thing where where we have seen in space in the past over the last many decades that sometimes. Uh, we were trying to jump too far or systems or activities in the first step were too complex. Simplicity in the first step and then kind of slowly building up things will help. And so and that will they will take by the hand all the surrounding uh, players or drivers like regulatory, legal, insurance, funders. We also need to educate more broader base of financiers, right? All the way from specialty financing to, to straight equity, right? So... And that is a new thing. So that is, in, in essence, governments have to help in the first step. We see, we see very interesting approaches in different parts of the world, particularly in your home country. And uh, then taking it from there. And I, I certainly be, I believe other, other space agencies, but also industry will buy into this concept over time. Let's stick the with your only last question is, how long will it take? And here, yeah. here we need to make sure that things are not take, will not take too long. Yeah. Uh, the space industry in the, in the past was pretty good in, in delays and budget overruns. And that has to change. Let's stick with your theme of simplicity because you you pointed out two two particular words that seem simple, but they're anything but in space. So trust and risk. And I wanna I wanna dive into a couple of those because I I completely agree with you. It's it's one of those where it's sort of a chicken and the egg. You have to have a healthy risk portfolio or risk appetite to allow for the innovation to 
to demonstrate, to scale, to then get, you know, the trust in the system to be able to build. But sometimes trust can be, trust means different things to different people. And so Thomas, I'm curious for you, and then I want to throw it back to you. Do you, do you establish trust just through technical proficiency? So obviously through being able to provide time over time, you know, demos that work and, and iteratively prove out your concept, or is it also a narrative issue? Because Jorg, as you know, when it comes to space commercialization and when you're dealing with private initiatives and government-led initiatives, a lot of it is the, the strategy and some of the, the other stuff that's non-technical that's going to enable risk, or sorry, going to enable trust. And so I'm curious, which, which will get you further along? And Thomas, let's start with you with the technical proficiency in building trust. Yes. So I think this, this, this trust thing has, of course, two pages. So first of all, you have to, you have to create trust in the technology by demonstrations, but demonstration missions. For example, we had the opportunity to demonstrate our interface in 2023 on board the International Space Station in the course of a U.S. mission, a DIU funded, uh, with partners of us from the company Skycorp. And this, of course, is one, one first step of, let's say, uh, creating technical trust to show that it works. Our, the next approach is that we are, right now, we, we, we are not there yet with our product. So right now we are selling lab models. And our idea or our approach is to distribute as many lab models to different institutions, uh, research institutions, uh, companies, uh, universities as possible, so that they start uh, making their experiences with it. They are playing with it, doing robotic manipulation, doing modular spacecrafts, uh, creating new ideas, uh, giving us feedback and tell us, yeah, you have to improve maybe here a bit. We had issues with that. This works fine. Uh, can you do this and this? And this, of course, creates some kind of, let's say, community, uh, which is dealing with this idea of, of uh, modular spacecrafts and is also providing us with extra knowledge, but also creates some kind of trust between the partners. Yeah, And that, that at the end, the product is suited for everybody who needs uh, these capabilities. So this is maybe the, the, the technological part of, of the trust. On the other hand, trust also comes from, let's say, or the, the business side of trust comes from drawing a picture and idea of how this uh, ecosystem is building up in the future and how important it is right now to create the capabilities, technological, the technological capabilities, but also the, the government issues and uh, insurance issues and all this uh, other stuff um, to be able to create this future ecosystem. But I think Jörg uh, can add also to that. Yeah, I would add to this. I'm kind of hitchhiking a bit and moving from the tech to the, to the non-tech side. This modular architecture something considers also new risks and new systems. You know, at the moment, uh, two things come together, or a service or a service, uh, another system. Uh, we are talking compound spacecraft, right? Mm -hmm. So for that time being, at least. And that brings a lot of even technical challenges, let's put it that way. So we are talking a new ball game in on one end side. Uh, another thing is, and uh, now coming back from this to trust building and building confidence with the various stakeholders. With all this modular architectures, ISAM, and what we, we were talking about for the last uh, half an hour, this brings in 
kind of that needs new vertical expertise in certain subsets and areas. Mm -hmm. And that is a steep learning curve for everybody on the table. So, and then on the business and ecosystem development side, what does that trust thing mean? So we have, as Thomas pointed out, we are kind of currently distributing laboratory models, but it's, we have put our stuff in space and it worked. So it was flown in a US mission. So we are, uh, and, and now let me use one word, which is, which is important, I think. We are real. We have real stuff that worked in space. And now from here, we want to help move and, and, and grow further. I think building trust in today's world, and we very much appreciate the new space movement, uh, which is really tang shows tangible results and way forward since around about 2015 in big numbers. We also see a lot of, you know, you see also see a lot of uh, PowerPoint companies. So where is the distinction? Where, right. who builds what with whom? Uh, how much money is thrown after what? And then kind of building this feedback between all the stakeholders where the real trust is being built and where progress is being made. Uh, even for companies which are advanced, it's still difficult, right? So I, I think the industrialization, which which basically is on the move or in, in the making, uh, bigger time, you know, I'm not talking about the Starlink satellites, right? But I'm yeah. talking kind of larger systems further out. For that, we, we it will bring a new culture, for sure. It will bring a new culture, also with new players. Imagine you have building blocks we are, which are going doing something in space, payloads, whatever it is. If we are talking building blocks and modular modular building blocks, which are pre-tested, pre-qualified, others can put stuff inside. People which have nothing to do with space because a showstopper for the time being is payload integration. And everybody who has a sexy thing is kind of getting a, getting really, really shocked when, when, when they see what payload integration means. But imagine the concept of an app store you provide a framework. People get this kind of programming environment, which is the building block and that modular architecture, and they can put something inside. Absolutely. I mean, that's that new industries, new industries, new players from around the world. Absolutely. Well, and that goes back to the concept I'm, I said in the beginning that, you know, ISAM seems niche, but it really is a backbone for all of the infrastructure and engagement that we want to have in space. And to your point about, you know, payload interface, it, it really comes down to access because that is what's getting a lot of people excited that might not be part of the space industry now or space ecosystem, but know that there's a pathway for them to engage. And I love that you inserted the, the topic of being real and these PowerPoint companies, because as we've seen, and this potentially does go down into, you know, trust and risk is that the, the industry is moving past hype, which is great, <laughs> into this real conversation of companies that have you know, been there, done that, flown that, demonstrated product market fit, and have the ability to, to scale quickly and integrate into existing architectures and business models, but also get some sort of return on investment. So we really are seeing this environment that is a little bit more pragmatic while also building toward this future because we ISAM is enabling this really exciting future, but it has to be rooted in real technological progression, which you guys laid out. Last question from me before I want to open it up to any more audience questions and any other points you want to make is this concept of stakeholders. And it's come up a lot in, in different ways. And Jörg, particularly as you were talking about how this ecosystem is going to evolve. So government-enabled private-led paradigm, I think is a concept that permeates a lot of the space industry with different verticals building out. And with ISAM in particular, how do you think these domains will, will shift in the years to come? And the reason I bring it up is 
we do have a lot of listeners that are entrepreneurial young companies or interested in getting into space. We also have a lot of existing space companies, but I always try to dispel that like uh, private alone is a myth that the government still plays a critical role. And especially with ISAM, very critical. How do you see this evolving in terms of the push and pull of who will lead, who will follow? And how do you think that'll change over time? Open to both of you. Since we are from Europe, Germany, the lead, the leader, uh, it will be led by the United States. Uh, that's very clear for a number of reasons. And that is a chance is a huge kind of joker for the US, but also a, a tremendous opportunity for people around the world mm -hmm. to join in uh, with particular expertise. So we see procurement schemes changing in the United States, things getting faster, it's more flexible, it's about delivering, not about kind of like painful reporting, right? So these type of things, so everything is changing, things going quickly. We can, we can tell we have benefit, not directly, but via a partner in the United States. Uh, so we have benefit from a DIU activity and we see others, you know, now we, we see how things are working with, with many others. So we have good contacts to Space Force and others. So I think those organizations will help change this a lot and it is about kind of like bringing the right things to space but there's still this disconnect between the vision the technical expertise even the pioneering prototyping kind mm -hmm. of startups then all the way to uh, the full commercialization, which is operation of a company, of course, that is a general challenge for everybody. You know, you have to do it well. But here we are talking, and that is where we are concerned, also production. Production quality management and these type of things. So uh, similar to, to car industry. So business models, we can lend probably all the innovation which comes from IT. But we can learn a lot from aviation for car industry. So we as IBOS, we have gone through the process with great partners to build, To have, we have a process in place to build our interface in series. This has been a bit, a bit uh, kind of hindered with the pandemic and a couple other things which are geopolitically happening right now. But in principle, it works very well. Most of the space companies and players, and, like, and, and we have gone through the experience that we are talking about it. They don't even know how to build things five times that they work. And, you know, on the long run, and then for a good price. You know, and that here, it, totally new worlds coming together. Because if you are talking ISAM to enable the future space infrastructure and associated logistics, we are talking serious or mass production about, about you know, and the, mom, the more we go down from system to subsystem component level, the more uh, lot sizes of single units we're having, right? So, and that is, a, that is something which, the, that's a different DNA. Right. That is not embedded in the, in the established traditional space sector and not even with most, in most of the, of the new space companies. It's going to definitely, you know, not only change the infrastructure, but change the way that people think about scaling into the future and working. And, and, and Thomas, in our, in our last, um, you know, minute, minute and a half together, what would you add to the conversation either about the shifting paradigm or anything else, the ISAM portfolio that people should know? Let's say coming coming back to the title, the cis lunar economy. I think that we have to see that it's a completely different ball game between when talking about Lero, Geo, or cis lunar. And if you if you go in the direction of cis lunar, every component, every satellite, every part you bring that far is worth really a lot. And as soon as something is not working, has a problem or has to be upgraded in, in lunar orbit, then this is really, um, it's, it's really getting painful to throw something away there. Mm 
the, the, the common, let's say the common business model, model nowadays in Leo, talking about Leo, is having one of a kind satellite or let's say more uh, a constellation of satellites and, and and use them as throw throw away items so you just mm. replace them they are quite cheap you you send them up there then they are broken after five years and then you return them to to, to earth burn them up in the atmosphere and then you send uh, some new satellites up there right now this is maybe a, a feasible business model even if I think that we can still change something in this, this even in Leo, because we can really rethink satellites also for Leo. In Geo, this this game changes because again, here's here the big satellites, communication satellites, they have re, have real value. And if you lose some of them because of a minor component, you are really losing money. And talking about Cislunar, this is a completely different ball game. You want to be able in lunar orbit to use what you have already there. Maybe you have some kind of spare parts, some spare batteries, and you can say, hey, can I use these components for the other spacecrafts? I, I just, I'm just lacking this and this component on the space station, on a gateway, on the on a lunar surface. And as soon as you are able to use what is already there and or reuse it, because you mm -hmm. have some kind of standard connector, standard USB connector for spacecraft up there, then you are really making, you're saving a lot of tremendous amount of money and tremendous amount of, of resources. I think this is very, very important to point out, especially talking about Cisluna. That was a really phenomenal way to, to lay out not only the, the need of for adaptability and modularity, but also the critical capabilities, because you're right, you know, Leo satellites a lot more disposable with geo also those satellites serve very critical functions. So if those, you know, go out, or if you need to extend them, it's not the same as you know, losing a, a constellation in low Earth orbit and losing a bit of connectivity for a while, but I think the consequences are much larger. And thank you for, for building out, you know, the, the orbits and their functionality and sort of how it all plays together. I really want to thank you both for joining this conversation today. It, it really laid out a great framework for why ISAM is important and, and really the considerations for its growth and, and the companies involved in it and really how IBOS is a critical component to to enabling that growth and connectivity. So thank you for sharing your time and expertise with us. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. For the invitation. Thank you. Great. Well, thank and you. And to our mission. viewers, appreciate you tuning in from all over the world. And please remember that there's a place for everyone in the future space ecosystem. See you next time.